Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Two Teaspoons of Positivity. The date is the 22nd of January and the time is 10.43pm. I am <laughs> recording this from a new location. I just moved from my workstation to my bed. It is way too cold. Oh god, <laughs> it is so cold. But yeah, I'm burrito. I've got my bottle and I'm comfy. Okay, um, before we begin, I think I should address the big thing that happened on the 20th and 20th of January. 20th or 21st? Wait, wait, <laughs> oh god. Uh, I should confirm, I should have confirmed this before. Beforehand, Biden inauguration. Let's see. Ah, uh, 20th January. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. I... Okay. So, we have... I mean, the world had the... Okay. <laughs> I was going to say we have a new president, but then I realized that the world is like whatever happens in this country affects the world in some way, shape, or form. So I was going to say that then, then I switched my sentence in the middle and started saying that the world has gained a new president, but that just sounds pretentious. Like, <laughs> I should accept the fact that the US is not the center of the world, and it shouldn't be. Like, the world has so many different, diverse, and amazing things. Why should anyone, any one nation or continent be at the center? Right? Anyway. Uh, okay, so what I wanted to talk about was the fact that uh, I wanted to uh, record and... I, I wanted to record yesterday. Because I had way too many thoughts on this. But I'm glad I waited for a day. Because in the span of uh, 48 hours, I, I've had the opportunity to talk to a lot of people or listen to a lot of people, um, people who are elated by the new, by the 46th president and people who are heartbroken by the fact that the 45th president did not get a second term. <sighs> okay. And it's not just the people who believe, who feel that they've lost a lot. It's also the people who have it, uh, who blindly believed in Q and his conspiracies, and his conspiracy theories and realized that it was all just a joke. So, I've, I've, I've been called by quite a few friends who were crying and saying that they don't know what to do anymore because of what happened. I'm really sorry for setting such a negative tone, but I, I wanted to, I, I don't, I, okay, this, this whole incident of a new president coming in and the old one leaving feels bittersweet in the sense that it's good that we have a new president 
instead of a civil war and it's bad that half the country is in mourning i also saw this uh, interview of the one trump supporter who showed up for the biden inauguration with a flag he was interviewed and he said that he feels dejected he feels lost he feels like the country that he loves is no longer his as if he has been shunned to a side for the sake of progress or something that's his perspective i'm not saying these i'm not saying that these are facts that's i'm just paraphrasing what he said and he said he'll wait for trump tv or something like that and then uh, until then he and he believes that he and the remaining republican voters will just abstain from voting until the 45th president gives them some sort of direction that's okay i don't know who who is listening to this and i don't know how they voted and whom they voted for but i am really sorry if you're feeling that you lost not just the election but the past 4 years of going to rallies and um, everything else this the sheer effort of battling the elements battling your own problems and the systemic uh, injustices and like juggling all of that brilliantly for the past 4 years and still feeling like you lost so much i i understand how that feels and i am really sorry that you have to go through this and i really hope that 2021 is better for you and like i think i think we can all agree that 2022 is will provide everyone the opportunity to uh, select elect better leaders leaders who represent your uh, values your needs and they will be leaders who will be able to um, ensure that you are you are provided everything that you are owed or everything that you deserve as a citizen of this country right okay um going forward i would like to make a suggestion it's uh, please don't take this uh too harshly i guess because it's just a suggestion it's completely up to you whether you want to follow it or not but i i had the opportunity to sit down and talk to some of the people who were feeling this feeling like this and the conversation uh, gradually shifted to why they lost like it's it shifted from blaming the leadership and the messaging and everything to what to personal um, to self reflection what we could have done or what the person as an individual could have done to ensure that they won or their party won and 
I think uh, everyone can agree that violence is not going to get us anywhere. Like I understand the anger, I understand uh, being enraged, but there are other ways to fight than picking than taking up arms and killing people and stuff, killing people and hurting people. There are other, there are ways, okay, so the reason why I'm saying this is because, it's not just because it's, it's dangerous for, for you and for people around you, it's also because it doesn't get us anywhere, like, look at what happened on January 6th, like, it didn't produce any results, it just made it more difficult for people who wanted to take their families to the Lincoln Memorial or some, or to the Capitol building as an educational trip or something. Like, people can't go there anymore. And they probably will never be able to. I remember um, going on a school trip to this castle and there was this section of the castle which was... uh, which had like steel bars uh, separating the tourists from a, a, a giant section of the room and the tour guide stated that back in the 90s back in the 80s uh, this this uh, room was free uh, th- these bars didn't exist the room was accessible to the public and uh, archaeologists had archaeologists and historians and people who cared for the uh, cared for the historical monument uh, did their level best to recreate the king's or the nobleman's uh, chambers and they tried to put in uh, they tried to go through historical records and talk to people and gather as much evidence as they can to ensure that all the artifacts were genuine were real and were there and the people stole those things because they were at the end of the day like they were quite worth quite a lot so it happened once or twice and then the government the the committee that managed this area managed this tourism destination decided that we can't have people interacting with this we need to close it up and it's it's a shame like i could i remember uh seeing the tourists uh i remember listening to the tourists tour guides um tone he sounded very sad and you could almost tell that he wanted to say that if these bars didn't exist i could show you so much i could tell you so much more but it's because of us that it's because of normal people like us who choose to do these things that that everyone not just from our generation but for future generation but the future generation suffer as well so coming back to the point i think uh, instead of being angry and being violent and threatening people with the second amendment we could change tactics and 
work towards or implement strategies that um, that bring about lasting change. I hope that's acceptable. I'm sorry I'm wasting too much time on this, but I feel like it's necessary. So, um, in in the spirit of changing tactics and making progress, I had a suggestion. I I recently uh, like when I was talking to these people, I could hear a little bit of the new sounds that they were listening to in the background, and I thought I should uh, like I okay so. The change that I think everyone should implement, irrespective of who they voted for and and whether they whether they're left or right, it it's it should this is a completely bipartisan suggestion. Maybe we should stop letting um, people tell us what is in certain policies, and we should maybe read the policies. It sounds very boring, but the the reason why i'm suggesting this is because news anchors not just from like from any um, any uh, any agency be it cnn msnbc newsmax oan anyone they are strapped for time more often than not they have too many stories to go through and they have to ensure that their audience uh, gets gets uh, ample information on all the stories so they have to paraphrase a lot of it and when people paraphrase what they do is they tell you what they think is important and that's how paraphrasing is done right but uh, more often than not they tend to skip out a lot uh, some of the more complicated parts and they might skip out something that you might think is important and you actually blame them for that because they are their job is to simplify information for thousands hundreds of thousands of audience members right and all those audience members are unique individuals who will prioritize information differently so it's not their fault but yeah that uh, that method or that pro- uh, procedure of uh, disseminating information, I feel like that is what leads to a lot of uh, misinformation and mixed messaging. So I tried it myself. I sat down with, I could only find two policies. I'm sorry about that. I could only find two policies that have been scrutinized as a lot, especially like in the past few years. So one was the Green New Deal. I knew I, I I picked that one because it was easier for me to get my hands on it and it was easier for me to find um, videos on YouTube of uh, anchors and news people like breaking it down and discussing it like criticizing it or commending it so I watched a few videos I read the whole thing first I watched the videos and I tried to find uh, what parts they are uh, highlighting or what parts they are talking about and what parts they are criticizing and that's when I noticed this pattern that they tend to paraphrase a lot 
and that leaves out huge chunks because they're strapped for time and that's not just uh that's not just on uh, newsmax on that's also on like that's on every news channel irrespective irrespective of uh, whether they are conservative or liberal or whatever so yeah i think that is and the reason i'm bringing another reason i'm bringing this up is that is that the mixed messaging and the misinformation it causes a lot of chaos it causes a lot of discord it's why certain members of certain uh, pro trump protesters were uh, calling for counting all the votes in some states and they were counting and the same supporters in different states were calling for stop the stopping the count and that kind of discord tends to lead to losses like i th- i feel like that level of um, that level of incongruence led to or played a major part in what happened and it's not even i don't blame the people for it i blame uh, the leaders and the and the media who sent these messages like if everyone was on the same reality if everyone shared the same facts then their messaging would not vary from state to state right so now now i can't change the leaders right i can't uh, i mean i can but i think i don't think um okay, i think i would it would help me a lot more if i just read up on the policies and understood the understood what was happening and understood what these uh, congressmen and senators were proposing instead of having someone tell me something and then trying to remember it properly or having someone feed me half the information and then arguing other people based on that those chunks of half information <sighs> i'm so tired <laughs> i'm so sorry for ranting but yeah i i really hope that uh, that this helped and i think another suggestion i would like to make is to not rely on leaders anymore like not rely on the people who are currently in power i i feel like a lot of people are disappointed with the present republican leadership like mitch mcconnell ted cruz josh holly so i i don't think um, abstaining from uh, local government or abstaining from participating in how local government is elected local and central i don't think that's the solution the solution i would propose is to run for local office yourself but in order to do that you'll have to read <laughs> so i am really sorry for putting you in such a bind but um, yeah no it's it's it, it it feels horrible i understand that and i don't really know how to help help whoever is listening to this feel better but in there is positivity there is some good news on the horizon and half of it is just you taking action 
just reading, understanding more, getting involved a lot more. So, yeah. Anyway, uh, I think I've <laughs> covered, I think I've said everything I wanted to. So, let's move on to our first story of the day. And it's about President Biden and how he used his first day in office to sign executive orders aimed at tackling the climate crisis. So Biden began the process of bringing the US back into the Paris Agreement. He also halted oil drilling in the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge Wilderness and revoked a permit issued by his predecessor for the controversial Keystone XL oil pipeline. Okay. I I had a discussion with someone about this as well and they the problems that they cited were the fact that even though it was controversial, even though it was harming the environment, it was providing jobs to people who did not have jobs, who don't have the training to uh, transition or to move to a different career, a more eco-friendly career. And more often than not, those are the people who are the, those people come from families where they are the sole breadwinners. So them having a job is uh, very important for the physical and mental health of the entire family. So, okay. Uh, this brings us to, right, I should, I, I'd like to go back to the point I just discussed. I'm so sorry for that. I sincerely apologize for the constant digression. <sighs> Okay, so I didn't just read the Green New Deal, I also read um, the new policy that the president initiated. It is 198 pages long, it is available on, uh, I think, whitehouse.gov, let me just confirm, whitehouse.gov, okay, let's see, yeah, whitehouse.gov, follow the White House, no, 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 not the inaugural address. There was a policy that he issued. I think it was on COVID-19. I mean, yeah, it was on COVID-19, but... National Strategy for COVID-19 Response and Pandemic Preparedness. Yes, I downloaded this. I'll read it today. I, I skimmed through it once. But... Uh, yeah, I, I picked one uh, one policy that has been scrutinized to Helen back and I picked one that will be scrutinized to Helen back in the coming few days. So I'm hoping that I'll be finished, I'll be done reading this and then I can just sit in front of the news and compare notes instead of listening to what they're saying and then going back and reading it again. Oh God, that was tiring. <laughs> but it was informational. I learned about paraphrasing a lot. So it's on uh, whitehouse.gov. You just click on COVID-19. There's like in the top top right. Yeah, it's in the top right. If you click on COVID-19 and you scroll down, you'll come. You'll be provided the option of downloading the PDF. Hmm. So uh, right. So no, the Biden administration is not just. Uh, working simultaneously uh, working towards tackling climate change and the pandemic they are also working on providing unemployment benefits to a lot of people so the people who will be laid off because of the uh, 
because of the cancellation of the Keystone XL, Keystone XL oil pipeline, they will be uh, provided uh, some level of respite, some level of relief for the next few months at least. And he has also, I think the Biden, Biden administration has also uh, been collaborating with OSHA to issue uh, workplace safety guidelines. And I think that will allow a lot more people to go back to work without contracting COVID or without bringing COVID back and to their homes and infecting people. So that's nice. It's it's nice. It's it's good. Like, like finally people will be able to work without having to without the fear of being a carrier or being infected. And as for the Keystone XL oil pipeline, that's I I remember reading about reading something about how the U.S. oil reserves, I think, are the third largest, right after so uh, right after the Middle East and one other country. I'm forgetting which one. One other area or subcontinent, yeah, subcontinent, yeah. I'm forgetting which. Um, so there's Middle East, there's one other place, and then there's the U.S. And the thing is that we have enough. There is enough oil in the U.S. There is so much oil that we don't have to uh, deal with any other countries. We can just shut down our entire oil trade and we will be safe for the next few centuries. We can rely on our oil reserves for the next few centuries. That's how much oil oil we have. So it makes little sense to continue, um, continue producing more oil. Because at this point, we're just doing it to harm the environment. And it's not just that. Like, we can spend the money that we are using on producing more oil into producing more jobs for people who will probably be laid off and will need work somewhere else. Right? So, yeah. Uh, the cancel. Okay, so we have a statement here from... Who is this? Uh, this is a representative of Greenpeace USA. Uh, she says that her name is uh, Janet Redman. She stated that as the world as the world's second largest emitter, the U.S. rejoining the uh, the Paris Climate Accords is a major victory for climate action. But signing a document is the easy part. Biden must go far and Biden must go far beyond just joining the Paris Agreement. He must listen and work cooperatively with developing countries in addressing the challenges they face in implementing more climate action in the face of the pandemic and growing indebtedness. Okay, I apologize for the weird cuts. Huh. This is uh, this is fairly true. This is something that everyone has said that even though the the Biden administration has done a lot of things, a lot of good things in the in their first few days, they need they don't uh, they need to do a lot more because uh, because I think not just because we need uh, we need really aggressive actions on. 
climate change and a few other things we also uh, need to avoid the traps that most uh, that most political officials fall into so the, the traps i'm referring to are basically that okay so if president a is elected in uh, if president a is elected in january in january of 2021 right <clears throat> so by 2022 we will uh, the us will have primaries and even if he even if the president doesn't want to or does has no personal stake in it he or she will be most definitely engaged or like a part of their mind will be focused on that so the productivity of the administration is hampered by the primaries because like they still they are still uh, they are still members of a party and parties want to stay in power so it's it's the it's the it's something that happens to almost every um, almost every group that has agendas and it's it's also there's there are a lot of factors but yeah this is this is a trap this is a trap that a lot of uh, I've seen a lot of politicians and political parties fall into. They, they, their work is amazing. Their productivity is through the roof. But then elections come and everything just falls flat because all their efforts are diverted into winning the election again so that they can continue working. It's so sad. But and it's it's sad because I feel like there is a solution for it, and that's just collaboration. Like, okay, so if I were the president or if I were the embodiment of a political party, right, and I lost the election to someone else, so I would do my best to collaborate with them and tell them that this is the plan, this is what we were going to do. So could you please uh, build on this instead of starting a new or just removing everything we did and then starting your own thing? Like most political parties do that because uh, I think it's it's slightly it's partly because just to stick it to the other party and for for publicity and the other part is because no one wants to share credit. Oh right, that reminds me. I realized another thing that. I, uh, that uh, that people who okay so um, uh, especially in the states the red blue divide at least among congressmen and state uh, congressmen and senators is it doesn't really exist it just exists on cameras it's weird it's like it makes sense because at the end of the day they are co-workers they don't hate each other they they work together they can't hate each other i mean they they dis, they disagree on a lot of things but there's no enmity there's no animosity there's just yeah i, I don't agree with that person so i'm just going to avoid avoid them and the capitol building is huge dude you can you can avoid someone as much as you want <laughs> uh but yeah uh, they're they're all friends. They're not 
Well, they're not friends exactly, but yeah, they are they are a lot amicable than uh, than some politicians tend to state on camera. Like when I was watching these uh, videos, I noticed that a lot of uh, they showed clips of rallies, and in rallies, these politicians had a different statement, a different perspective on their co-workers, and I also. So Senate proceedings and House proceedings, and in there they acted and sounded different. So maybe it's just because they they need their base to think that they have that kind of animosity because those those. Uh, the emotions are intense and it keeps the audience engaged or something like that i don't really know but yeah uh, it also shows that uh, the policies the green new deal and other policies like the cap and trade bill or um, the omnibus spending package like they're not uh, as partisan as people will tell you on the news more often than not, uh, the primary data for these things is because of collaboration between Republican and Democratic senators or congresswomen. So, they're all buddies. <laughs> we don't need to... They just... I don't know why they keep telling us that they're not. But yeah, they're, 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 they're friends. They're good friends. Not good friends, but yeah. They're, they're good acquaintances. So there's no reason for enmity. There's no reason to hate on a, a, a particular senator or a particular congressman because of their because of the way they lean politically. That's another thing that I learned. So it it makes it easy for me to it it kind of uh, motivates me to remove any bias. Like if I think that oh god this is this this policy is written by someone from the left or someone from the right i might have a bias looking in looking at it or reading through it i'll be unconsciously or subconsciously uh trying to find flaws or trying to find statements which just sound wrong even if they don't so that is that is a bias that you should not have when you're reading policies so i think this would help other people as well knowing that these people are friends they're just, they're just lawmakers. There's no red or blue in this case. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I'll stop uh, going back to that particular rant. I'm sorry. Let's let's move on. Uh, yeah, I think this story is done. That in the first few days of the Biden administration, they made, they sent out executive orders to tackle climate change, to tackle the pandemic, to tackle and to undo quite a lot of things like the wall which we were paying for and and they also removed the Muslim travel ban I know I want to talk about those things but I also don't want to waste anyone's time too much I think I'll okay so the wall um, Okay, uh, I think I should uh, add this. 
a lot of people uh, who a lot of study sorry not a lot of people a lot of people have said like um, border patrol officials and uh, people who have been in charge of have been in charge of customs and um, people who have been in charge of teams that are dealing with gang violence and inter and gang violence in mexico that sometimes spills onto spills across the border stuff like that people people who are engaged in those fields have said the same thing that people who conducted studies on the efficiency of the border stated that yes uh, the us could benefit from funds to the border security but it doesn't need to be a wall it doesn't need to be a physical wall because more often than not these people uh, the people who come through illegally they are coming in through uh, our ports of entry so all the customs checkpoints and uh, airports that's where people are coming in from so putting uh, directing funds over there will help us a lot more than a physical wall would because i think a lot of people a lot of videos have been shared on social media platforms showing how easily those walls can be climbed so yeah that's uh, one thing and the other the muslim man thing is uh, i don't know if i want to talk about that <laughs> because i feel like i'll trigger a lot of people not because i have anything negative to say about it it's it's just that i don't think uh, religion should be a criteria because again like most people who enter the who enter the country from these nations they just they're either fleeing from the violence and they just want peace or they are looking or they are coming in to achieve the american dream and i don't think either of those people would want to start or instigate any sort of violence and i understand that most is not all but i'm also considering the fact that the the people who are in charge of securing our border and ensuring that uh, people who wish to harm the nation do not enter i know that they are they are doing their best so we can't say that they are inefficient at their job while uh, praising them for doing it because if we say that people are coming in and people and like so people are swarming in and their caravans and stuff that that's indirectly saying that the the border security is is just is uh, is as efficient as a marshmallow that's not true so anyway let's move on okay uh the dominican republic approved a bill to end child marriage what the hell <laughs> i'm sorry excuse me uh okay child marriage was legal in the dominican republic until this week what 
the Caribbean nation has the highest rate of child marriage in Latin America, but not perhaps for much longer. What do you mean perhaps? Oh, right, because it, it takes a while for people to start obeying the law. Right, right, right. Uh, this week, the country's president, Luis Abinader, pro- approved a bill that eliminates all legal grounds for child marriage and safeguards the rights of children, particularly girls. The International Justice Ministry stated that the new law stipulates that people under the age of 18 will not be able to marry under any circumstances. Previously, children could could be forced into marriage as long as there was parental consent and permission from a judge. Hmm. I mean, the only other nation I heard, I remember that had child marriage and probably still does is India. That's just messed up. But no, this is this is a good step. Like, if the, if the Dominican Republic did it, then maybe it can create enough pressure in the international community for India to uh, pr- produce stricter laws. Because it's not like, okay, let me just check. Uh, I'll just check. Is it legal? Is Okay, is child marriage legal in India? Let's see. Is child marriage legal in India? Okay. The message, okay. Uh, disparate parents uh, does child marriage still exist in India okay the law was passed in 1929 to ban the practice and it was updated again in 2006 uh, today both women under the age of 18 and men under the age of 21 cannot legally get married although uh, a fourth of the girls in the nation between the ages of 10 to 17 in the nation are married so it's not about the law it's about uh, enforcement so yeah the fact that uh, Dominican Republic has approved the bill and now they will be working on enforcing it enforcing the law maybe this could create uh, enough in enough pressure in the international community for India to crack down on this thing but okay how would that work is the question like I don't really understand why people would marry want to marry a child like I don't get it I don't want to talk about the story anymore let's just move on and this is a good step for the Dominican Republic I mean, it's just basic. It's just common sense. But that's a flower that blooms in dry gardens. Anyway, uh, let's move on to our next story. Jaguars have returned to Argentina's Ibera wetlands. Uh, there are three... Okay, no. Um. Okay, so Argentina's Ibera wetlands have seen... Jag- have have jaguars prowling in them for the first time in 70 years that's amazing the big cats were driven out of the swampy region in the north in the north east okay the big cats were driven out of the swampy region in northeastern argentina by hunters but now they have returned after conservationists released a mother 
and her two cubs as part of an ongoing reintroduction program. We have a statement here from Augustin Paviolo. Then uh, he is a member of the National Research Council of Argentina. So he says that we are not only restoring a population where the species became extinct, but we are also learning how to reproduce and prepare jaguars to be reintroduced in the wild. We expect that this experience could serve to lead the way of jaguar recovery in many regions of America. And, and by that, I am assuming he means South America. But yeah, no, jaguars are amazing. And I think I've mentioned this many, many times in this podcast that we need uh, we need predators in the ecosystem to balance uh, to ensure that the balance is maintained between predator and prey to ensure that there is no overgrazing and there is no destruction of um, there's no destruction of wildlife because the grazing population has not been kept in check and like even with uh, even if we remove or even if we disregard all these uh, facts i think we can all agree that jaguar just the, the jaguar is a badass animal <laughs> i don't know why but uh, yeah i've been fascinated with them ever since i was six yeah ever since i was six and I, when i was uh, 14 i believe I remember uh, watching this small clip on National Geographic about how jaguars are one of the few predators who get high. <laughs> they uh, they consume this leaf from this particular plant that uh, sharpens their senses. But the side effect of that is that it makes them hallucinate. <laughs> so there's uh, so and it just showed this adult jaguar just pawing at the, at at nothing just looking up at the sky and pointing at nothing <laughs> uh, it was adorable but yeah it was also very hilarious i didn't expect that okay how many stories do we have left uh one two three four five six okay we do have uh, a few more stories today okay let's see i'll be skipping a few so let's go let's move on to our next story uh france got its first michelin starred vegan restaurant so france is already known for france okay it says here that france is traditionally a bastion for plant-based dining and it made culinary history this week a michelin star was awarded to a vegan restaurant there for the first time Restaurant ONA, which stands for Origin Non Animal, Animal Free Origin, uh, was launched in Aries near Bordeaux in 2016 following a crowdfunding campaign and a loan from a green bank. Chef Claire Vallée, who runs the establishment, I am most definitely pronouncing all of these names wrong. I sincerely apologize for that. French is not my strong suit. Uh, okay. Uh, so the chef who runs the establishment was also awarded a green star which which michelin introduced last year to acknowledge restaurants that set the bar for ethical practices hmm. this is interesting 
I never imagined veganism to be included in fine dining. Or like I don't know how to what to call it. Michelin star dining, I guess. Because it seems very ubiquitous. It seems like something that everyone should be able to do. And yeah, it's it's okay. I I think I said this before. Like consuming meat isn't a problem. The problem is mass producing it. Like we don't need uh, companies like KFC or Burger King or anything. Uh, what are some of the biggest meat producing companies in the US? Biggest meat. Like I am talking about the companies which have factories. I don't know which ones are those. Yeah, I'm not getting any answers anywhere. But yeah, this is good. This is good. The fact that uh, it started in France is a good sign, because. A lot of people will most probably jump to jump onto this bandwagon, and inadvertently help the environment, even if they just want to flex. That's fine. Like, <laughs> I can't really, we can't really change the way these people think, but we can hope that their actions will help others, help the environment instead of ruining everything. Okay. Um. I think we have time for one more story. I think I want to talk about Mary Anning. So Mary Anning was a paleontologist, and no one knows about her because, of course, no one does. She was a woman. <laughs> that's that's so sexist. But yeah, it's the same thing with um, Artemisia Gentileschi. She was an artist during the during not the not during the Renaissance. But yeah, after a little, a little after the Italian Renaissance, her father was Emilio Gentileschi, I think. Anyway, uh, yeah, she was she. Uh, the reason why she was able to become an artist was because of her father. Her father owned a studio, and her father taught her everything she knew. But she was also uh, sexually assaulted by someone whom her father was working with, and. The guy was convicted, but he was later pardoned by the Pope. So that infuriated Artemisia, and she left Florence, and she went to Rome, not to fight with the Pope or anything. She just she was looking for work, and she her career uh, blossomed after that. She hired clients from Naples, Venice, Milan, and a few other few other places. But yeah, she. Uh, she had uh, this really amazing talent for taking her traumatic experiences and in and including them in her artwork so you could tell like if you were to look at her painting and someone were to tell you that this was created by artemisia gentileschi you could tell what she was thinking when she made that that's how amazing an artist she was and her name was forgotten because she was a woman i'm just so tired of this sexist nonsense 
anyway but yeah uh, the feminist movement in the 70s brought uh, revived her history and people started taking an interest a similar thing has happened here but uh, okay so uh, mary anning who was a paleontologist and was almost forgotten by history uh, is to be commemorated by a statue this is this is following a crowdfunding campaign established by a teenage girl <laughs> who hails from the same town as mary anning did so her name the girl's name is evie she's from dorset she was disappointed to learn that in spite of anning's contributions to paleontology there was no statue to celebrate her anning was born into a poor family and although she had made many significant finds along the dorset coast they were credited to the male collectors who brought her fossils what the hell <laughs> that is just unfair like some josh mo brought you the fossil and you the you did the did the entire put in hours and hours of effort into recognizing what bone it is and what dinosaur it belongs to or what organism it belongs to and the guy who brought the fossil gets the effort uh, gets the credit that is nonsense that is just that is unfair i am <laughs> i'm infuriated <laughs> okay i i am sorry i don't mean to sound sarcastic but yeah it is it is it is infuriating okay uh let's come back to the story keen to raise awareness about anning uh ev launched a crowdfunder and raised 70000 pounds to commission a sculptor wow i'm guessing a lot of people liked her campaign I mean, yeah, I would have contributed as well if I'd known about it. Uh, a statue of Anning will now be erected in Lyme Regis on twenty-first of May, twenty twenty-two, on the two hundred and twenty-third anniversary of her birth. This is nice. This is really nice. I like it. I like the story. Like, we should. We need to have a lot more statues and not just statues, just I think uh, it would be better if we taught about Mary Anning in schools because I don't think a lot of people look at statues anymore. It, like yeah, they are a part. Of, they they're not a part of history though. I don't think they're a part of history. I think books and museums are a part of uh, how we remember history. and statues are just how we glorify people and like mary having deserves to be glorified of course she's she broke the glass ceiling right she did so much so anyway okay <laughs> this is going to this turn into an hour long episode because of my rant hey sincerely apologize for that but uh yeah this is good news i i hope more people will take an interest in paleontology because of evie's efforts and uh, mary anning's efforts anyway um that brings us to the end of our episode not because we we are short on stories because we have we don't have that much time <laughs> anyway uh I'd like to thank the the people listening. 
thank you so much for just helping make this what it is today even though it has like it doesn't have that much of an audience that big an audience but no i genuinely appreciate and care for every single one of you like you guys give me a lot of motivation to continue finding stories and learning more and talking about them not just that like this doing this every week like switching from doing this every day to doing this every week it provides me it it motivates me to have a more positive outlook on things and that has helped a lot anyway uh right that i think that does it for our segment for today thank you so much for tuning in and now i am going to tune out bye bye